Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Mullen Group Limited year-end and fourth quarter earnings conference call and webcast. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star, then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Murray K. Mullen, Chairman, CEO, and President. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, all, and welcome to Mullen Group's quarterly conference call. Now, once again, before I commence today's review, I'll remind everyone <coughs> that our presentation <coughs> excuse me, contains forward-looking statements that are based upon current expectations and are subject to a number of uncertainties and risks, and actual results may differ materially. So further information identifying the risks, the uncertainties, and assumptions can be found in the disclosure documents, which are filed on CDAR and at, uh, at www.mullen-group.com. So with me this morning, all social distancing, is the entire executive team of Stefan Clark, as our CFO, Richard Maloney, Senior VP, Joanna Scott, Corporate Secretary and VP of Corporate Services, and Carson Erlacher, who is our Corporate Controller. Uh, so thank you for joining us today. And uh, uh, it was just a few short weeks ago that we held our 2021 budget and business plan update uh, with our shareholders and investors. And as such, really, there's not much that has changed since early December 2020 either as it relates to our business or that dastardly COVID-19. So let's keep everything I say today within the context that it all depends on COVID. Uh, I am going to turn the call over to Stefan here shortly, who will discuss our 2020 results. But before I do, here is a recap of what I saw as the big picture, and this is clearly from my perspective. Number one, the, the consumer reigns supreme in this economy. Now, after that dreadful second quarter, the buying power of the Canadian consumer just took off. They seem to want to buy everything in sight, which is music to our uh, LTL teams. And uh, <clears throat> by the way, they did a fantastic job adapting to all of the necessary safety protocols for essential workers and meeting the, the demands of the consumer and of our, uh, and of our customers. Heck, even our, uh, our LTL businesses in, in Alberta did okay, which is astounding because everyone knows that Alberta was crushed with low oil prices and a struggling economy. Now, number two, since we're on the theme of consumer-driven economy, there's a transition to the e-commerce, direct-to-consumer trend that absolutely hit another gear in 2020. This is probably the single highlight trend we see in the logistics industry today, and one that we believe we are going uh, is not going to go away anytime soon. We know firsthand what this changing landscape can have on your business if you are e-commerce ready. Our DWS group, for example, based in Toronto, absolutely crushed it for their customers. 
so much so that I personally received calls from a customer thanking the team for helping them meet the challenges associated with e-commerce deliveries spike that spiked during uh, 2020. So the, uh, the third thing that I'm going to talk about uh, as the uh, big picture, it's diversification pays dividends. Now, it's pretty evident that uh, not all of our business units had an easy year, especially those that were tied to the resource sector of the economy. Yet, in spite of some of the uh, business struggles, we had a very successful year. The fourth big picture trend, I would say, is acquisitions were on our radar, but we just didn't get to the goal line because of our view on valuations, along with trying to rationalize how do you drive margin improvement given the no travel environment, uh, et cetera, et cetera, under COVID. We got a couple of nice tuck-ins completed, but nothing to move the needle. Um, so truthfully, from that perspective, I'd have to say that's a bit of a disappointment. So let me summarize 2020 this way. Revenues were down, margins were up, and that equals a pretty darn good year. So within this backdrop, I'll turn the call over to Stefan, who has the details as it relates to 2020. Seth, it's yours. Thank you, Murray, and good morning, fellow shareholders. I'll get a little bit more granular. However, our annual financial review contains the full details that explains our performance. As such, I will only provide some high-level commentary. As Murray alluded to, it has been a year for the record books. Although revenue in all three segments declined, each segment continued its long march to a full recovery that started in Q3 and continued in the fourth quarter. For the quarter, consolidated revenue declined by approximately 5%. The effects of COVID-19 are widespread. However, it appears investors have shed their hesitancy and are looking past COVID and towards the wide distribution of a vaccine and the consumer confidence to spend. We saw signs of this in the fourth quarter. However, in the meantime, efforts to contain the virus will continue to constrain the economy. Revenue in the consumer-driven less than truckload segment rose by 1.8%, more or less flat when you adjust for acquisitions. However, the logistics and warehousing and specialized and industrial services segments declined by 5.3 and 15.2% respectively. This is considerable improvement from the lows in Q2 and reasonable given the current crisis. We are seeing regional differences, but for the most part, the consumer is back spending again in usual seasonal fashion. The resurgence of the, fi uh, the virus has prompted governments to reimpose containment measures, and the start-stop nature of the economy will likely haunt us for the foreseeable future. Overall, year-over-year -year revenue decreased by 16.9 million to 290, uh, sorry, yeah, year-over-year -year for the quarter, decreased by 16.9 million to 297.7 million, including the effects of $8.6 million of acquisition revenue and $6 million decrease in fuel surcharge revenue. Excluding the effects of acquisitions and fuel surcharge fluctuation, revenue decreased by approximately 20 million or 7%, largely due to the weakness in the S&I, or the specialized in industrial services segment. On a sequential basis, consolidated revenue increased by $6.8 million for the quarter from $290.9 million achieved in Q3 of 2020, reflecting signs of a strengthening economy. As for profitability, operating income before depreciation in amortization, commonly referred to as EBITDA, 
for the quarter increased by $2.3 million or 4.6% to $52.2 million. Segment EBITDA increased in the LTL, L&W, and S&I segments um, by $2.1 million, half a million, and $0.9 million respectively. Of course, this number comes in part as a result of Q's. But the underlying number of 46.9 million as compared to 49.9 million in, in Q4 of 2019 is virtually flat dollar-wise on reduced revenue. The underlying EBITDA number reflects the strength of our business model, but also one underlying fundamental. Diesel price, prices fell by an average of 29% during the quarter. This benefited our business, but also reduced fuel surcharge revenue and reduced fuel as a percentage of revenue from 9.4% to 7.6%. This difference of 1.8% added about $3.9 million to the bottom line. Now, I will note that some issuers prefer to report adjusted EBITDA margin by reducing the revenue and the cost by the quantum of the fuel surcharge revenue. Of course, this is a non-GAAP measure, and by making this adjustment, this adjustment to the denominator in this fashion results in a contrived margin expansion. We prefer to report in generally accepted fashion, so our margins are based on full revenue and full costs. So without any accounting trickery, our operating margin improved to 17.5% from 15.9% in 2019, primarily due to a greater proportion of higher margin revenue, a thank you Premier pipeline, lower diesel prices, and cost control measures. Q's was also a factor, but it was not as large as it was in previous quarters. The Q's adjusted margin was 15.8%, or more or less on par with prior year. Revenue for the year declined by 8.9% to $1.2 billion, down from $1.3 billion. However, EBITDA improved by 8.3% to $217.6 million, up from $200.9 million and was due to the strong performance by all three segments. Operating margin adjusted for Qs improved by 0.7% to 16.4% as compared to 15.7% in 2019. Full details, including a segment breakdown, can be found starting on page 23 of our annual financial review. Looking at other notable items, net cash from operating activities for the year was up to approximately $225 million. We use some of this cash to invest in our company, firstly by buying back stock for $53 million and by purchasing $35 million of trucks, trailers, and other equipment, as well as $15 million of much-valued facilities for total net capex of approximately $50 million. We also funded the acquisitions of Pacific Coast Express and IWD for approximately $20 million. After those investments, as well as paying our taxes and interest obligations, we still have excess cash and we paid about $35.5 million in dividends. So after uh, all that, we uh, remained with approximately $105 million of cash on the balance sheet. And in addition to our cash, we have an undrawn $150 million line of credit and substantial positive working capital. Our total net debt to operating cash flow financial covenant under a private placement agreement, which gives us the benefit of our in-the-money currency hedges, was 2.10 to 1, or about two times cash flow, rather conservative position to be during a recession. Lastly, a quick word on ESG. Lots of people ask me about this. Much talked about by some, uh, but some conversations regarding ESG lacks common sense. 
Outside rating agencies do a poor job of assessing ESG in my uh, opinion, so consider these facts when reading their reports on us. Our safety record, as measured by lost time injury frequency, is less than half the industry average. In fact, world-class at less than one uh, lost time claim injury frequency. That is uh, just absolutely hitting it out of the park. And uh, But some rating agencies would say you've seen a trend where you've gone from 0.9 to, to 1, uh, so you're, uh, you're going the wrong way. Well, of course, if you're an acquisitive company, sometimes you acquire companies that don't have as good a safety records and you average up, but I can assure you that we see improvement in all our businesses every year. Secondly, our SmartWay partnership is not very well understood by many of the ESG rating firms. SmartWay is a partnership between industry, the U.S. EPA, and Natural Resources Canada, and it is committed to reducing greenhouse gases. We were one of the first to enroll, and today there are approximately 4,000 participants. Why would you voluntarily subject yourself to a governmental annual review of your greenhouse gas emissions? Because you're committed to ESG committed to ESG long before it was fashionable. Under SmartWay, firms are reviewed annually and benchmarked against their peers. Our subsidiary, Clayson Group, is one of only 12 with high performer status and each other of our BUC annual improvement. Lastly, if you are concerned about ESG, please consider our commitment to our frontline workers during the COVID crisis as articulated uh, in our March 2020 news release. Action like these simply do not fit in an ESG ratings box. Putting aside $5 million for our frontline workers before government programs were instituted speaks volumes to our commitment to ESG and our frontline workers. And on that note, I would like to personally thank our frontline workers who tirelessly delivered essential goods each and every day, ensuring our cupboards are full and our economy moves on. So with that, Murray, I'll pass the conference back to you. Yeah, thanks, Steph. Uh, well done today. <clears throat> so what, let me just, uh, as we move into this next section, before we get to the Q&A, what is it that I really see today that I didn't see eight weeks ago? Well, let's start with we still have COVID to deal with, that, so that hasn't changed. In fact, if anything, I'd have to view the recent actions by governments as harmful to business and the economy. Now, all we have to do is look at the recent employment numbers, and to be blunt, they're just awful. So will all of this alter consumer behavior? This is truly the unknown to, uh, from my perspective, and it's one that bears watching carefully. It is pretty evident, however, that if you give consumers money, if you give them a reason to buy, they certainly will. And until we see a return to growth in the overall economy, I can tell you that our focus will be on margin. Number two, the supply chain remains under stress. It, the, the evidence is clear. We see it in the shipyards, we see it at the rail yards, we see it at our terminals that handle container freight. This suggests to us that the increased inefficiency in the supply chain uh, will bring a need for more warehousing. It's all gonna bring, uh, bring along increased cost into the system. In fact, the bottlenecks in the supply chain that, uh, that everyone is noticing. Uh, and it's, slow, it's really slowing everything down. And from my perspective, that combination of an increase in consumer demand, which was, which was real, but it's been masked a little bit because when you layer that on top of an inefficient supply chain, which is what we have today, it creates the illusion 
and it's actually busier than it really is. Now this bears, uh, you know, this bears a lot of uh, close attention. Uh, it's my con my view is that yes, consumers are strong, and they're probably going to remain the best part of the economy. But the supply chain is bottlenecked. It's got some. We're, we're hearing it all over. Whether it's chips, or whether it's uh, some foodstuffs, uh, it's container traffic, all of that stuff. We have to be very, very careful on watching whether this is a you know what's this long-term trend. So our job is to be thoughtful and to, and to strategically position our company to capitalize on these uh, on these trends. So. Uh, that's what we'll be doing. LTL remains the most resilient part of the freight business. The consumer is still spending. Um, maybe it's because we're bored. We're sitting at home and we just go uh, and do stuff. I'm not sure, but uh, the packages seem to still be delivering to the houses. But the other reasons that uh, our LTL business is doing well, I've, I've got to highlight them. Um, you know, we're investing in this part of our business. We are uh, like them. Um, you know, we're investing in this part of our business. We are, uh, we've got some new terminals that we've opened up. Uh, we're going to expand coverage. Uh, we have the capabilities to handle more e-commerce deliveries, which is, as you all know, is direct to the consumer, not to the retail store, direct to the consumer, as well as, uh, you know, the, uh, the move towards ambient freight, which is a form of LTL movement. So LTL remains the most resilient part of the freight business. And, and, the, and the, sta the staple of our business. Higher commodity prices. What has changed? Well, clearly, higher commodity prices are in, are in, the, are, are in the news these days. And that's changing uh, a lot of the, the prospects for the oil and gas industry. We see the rig count up from last year, although not up to where it was in 2019. So I think we still have a long ways to go. Uh, but this is a welcome change that we see in the marketplace today, and everything we see suggests that 2021 will be a lot better than 2020 in the oil and gas industry, thankfully. Um, so here's, here's what I'm going to leave you with. The world wants what Canada has. That's pretty evident. Um, the question is, will Canada participate? Or will Canada's oil and natural gas industry, industry simply make more money as commodity prices worldwide increase? And it seems to me that if no one wants the industry to invest, which keeps the lid on commodity prices, then no one should complain when prices rise. And the last discussion point I've got is on acquisitions. Now, clearly, the capital markets want growth, and they'll reward companies that have a growth trajectory. There's an unlimited amount of capital in the system. The lowest uh, bond yields uh, uh, ever uh, hit in the United States this week. It's easy to see how valuations can get stretched. The challenge, as I see it, is finding growth that makes sense over the longer term. Uh, we have our work cut out given the current easy money environment, but until then, we have a big cash position that is looking for a, a really good home. So all in all, I would say to you, not much has changed from our perspective, and we remain focused on achieving our 2021 budget and business plan that we outlined on December 9, 2020. So I would, I'll just summarize it by saying this. I think it's going to be slow out of the starting gate due to COVID, and I would not be surprised to see a nice, strong finish to 2021. That's our prognosis for today. Uh, thanks for joining with us, and I'll now be glad to entertain some uh, questions.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then 2. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. At this moment, we have five callers in the queue, and the first question comes from Konar Kupta with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Good morning. Um, the, morning, Stefan. Uh, maybe the first one for you. Um, so looking at the Q4 numbers, uh, I, I can see there seems to be some uh, negative foreign exchange impact in logistics and corporate, uh, as well as below the line. And uh, there was probably an increase in the loss on asset sales uh, of $4.3 million um, in the numbers. Just confirming if these items are not adjusted out of the 52 uh, million EBDA and 10 cent EPS. And if that's the case, uh, can you suggest uh, what would the adjusted numbers be? Okay, so for foreign currency, what we have is we go mark to mark on the foreign currency within primarily our, our logistics and warehousing division where we have receivables and payables. And so we mark to mark those, and those are in the table. Uh, I don't have the page number in front of me, but you'll see that within that segment primarily, and you'll see it on the, the console on the SNA costs. Below the EBITDA line, that foreign currency really relates to um, the mark to mark that we have to do on our, on our uh, hedges, our swaps, and our debt. Um, so accounting-wise, there's a bit of variation there, and we normalize that portion in our adjusted uh, normalized earnings, which you will find in our annual uh, report on page 28. And so it's adjusted for that, but I would remind you that it's not our intention to really trade those hedges in the market. We have those, and our intention to hold those to maturity in 2024 and 2026, and we have to net present value those using a discount rate for accounting purposes. So it, it, it comes with, up with a little bit of a variation, but from an economic point of view, we're fully hedged on that debt. All $229 million of US currency is, is fully hedged at about $1.10, $1.11. eleven. We locked those in when we took out the debt. So from that perspective, that's the noise there. And we could talk get more into detail offline if you want to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for that. And the, the $4.3 million loss on asset sale, uh, the increase in loss versus last year, what was that about? Uh, we just cleaned up the garage and, uh, you know, sold some older equipment. Um, you know, it was just not a, a great time to be selling used equipment in Q4, so we took a, some some asset losses there. And we also sold a, a property in Drayton Valley that we also uh, experienced a loss on. 
Okay, thanks. Uh, so moving on, then the second question is on margins, I guess. Uh, excluding queues, of course, um, all three segments uh, clearly expanded margins from last year, uh, which we also saw back in Q3 as well. Uh, but this time, the margins in Q4 were not, not as much uh, better as they were in Q3. So just curious as to, um, is there anything between Q3 and Q4 that's seasonality uh, and that's non-seasonality that would have diluted the margins a little bit here? Uh, I don't see uh, PCX being dilutive as much as uh, I think people might have thought before. So any any thoughts there on the margin uh, front, uh, that'll be appreciated. It's Murray. Uh, good morning, Conrad. Uh, I don't morning. think there's anything real serious. I think what I think what you're really starting to see, though, if you want modest opinion, is I think you're starting to see some costs uh, come into the system. Uh, you know, uh, there's inefficiencies in the bottleneck, you know, in, in the supply chain that we talked about. So we're not quite as efficient as we once were. Uh, we did bring back people in anticipation that it was going to get busier. Uh, you know, so I, I just think that's the, that's the primary reason, to be honest. I don't, there's nothing alarming, but you're, but you're spot on is the, uh, the initial initiatives that we had to reduce costs you know, we couldn't keep pressing the button on those forever. You have to let off the let off the pedal a little bit, and uh, you know, a lot of it had to be you got to bring the people back and you got to pay them. And uh, I think that's the single biggest reason, uh, along with those inefficiencies in the supply chain. We're just, God darn it, it's just it's awkward. You know, you get going, you you you're, and then the, you know a customer cancels their, you know, have to shut down their factories, so that happens, and then you. You get trucks moving, so there's been some inefficiency that, uh, you know, it's not it's not changing everything, but it does incrementally. It does it does impact margin. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Also, no, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. We also saw a little bit of the cost of contractors go up as a percentage of revenue. So we've seen freight rates go up, but we also had to pay our our subcontractors, those third parties, a little bit more. So um, that that's also a bit of a factor. Yeah, actually, I was about to ask you on the contractor front as well. It seems like that went up. So is it, uh, Stefan, is it because of the contractor rates going up uh, minus the, the volume decline, or is it both volume of contractor? I'm like, you have you started using incrementally more contractors? It's mainly the rates, mainly in the L&W and our fluid hauling businesses, where, you know, you're, you're playing the spot market for a lot of that stuff and, and trying to to fulfill the customers' needs that way. And, and there was some strengthening in the fourth quarter. And although our guys are usually very good at, at managing the spread, we we caught, caught behind a little bit during the quarter. Okay, thank you. Uh, that, that's my two. Thank you. Our next question comes from Kevin Chang with CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Morning, Kevin. Thanks, and uh, good morning, and and, and uh, hope, hope hope you're doing well, Murray and, and Stefan. Maybe if I could um, maybe uh, ask a question on, on on one of your your comments you made there, Murray, on on, on maybe 2020 being a little bit of a disappointment on the M and A front because you you didn't do a, a bigger deal, you didn't see a bigger deal. I know you have the dry powder, you know, 250 million of liquidity. Just wondering what the appetite is to, to do one, especially when you. When you look at some of your other publicly traded uh, Canadian trucking uh, comps out there, ha- having started this year 
with some pretty transformative deals. Do, do, do you see an opportunity to do something similar on your front, or do, do you think 2021 is more of a, a repeat of 2020 and, and it's more, more of a tucked in variety? Yeah, that's a that's a uh, just a really uh, good question, and uh, you know I, I touched on it a little bit. Uh, we all know the liquidity that's in the system, and that has been driving uh, acquisitions. It's just unbelievable uh, some of the transactions that have happened. Um, the the issue that uh, I have struggled with, to be honest with you, is is there something fundamentally changing in the economy? Uh, that would say that uh, that margins are going to change uh, in the trucking business, and uh, I don't see unless we have some real bump in the in the economy. I don't see massive demand. You need a significant demand increase for us to see a a big step change in in pricing. Uh, the United States has seen it better than we have in Canada, uh, and there's way more opportunity in the United States than there is in Canada. That, that's just factamendo. So uh, I was uh, probably not as aggressive as what the capital markets would have liked. Uh, there's no doubt uh, from that perspective. But in each case, when I look at an acquisition, I say, okay, can, how do I change the denominator? How do I change what you're buying? Because in most of these Transforma transformational acquisitions you're talking about, uh, the, the companies that they're buying don't have good margins, but uh, the, the management team say they've got a good plan on how to change the, uh, uh, you know, change the change the denominator and change the, uh, you know, change the profitability of those business units. Um, we, I, I didn't see that, so we didn't go ahead with the major with the major ones, but. Uh, we sit looking for the right one, um, and you know we play the long game, Kevin. Um, we'll be patient, uh, and when I but when I find the right ones that I think can change, then we're going to be very very aggressive on those things. So those would be LTL. You know we like LTL. That's a good part of our business, and we like regional LTL. I don't like uh, uh, big LTL and the big centers because the big centers. To be honest with you, I think they're going to get crushed. Uh, LTL is going to get hurt by direct-to-consumer because they're not going to be going to the storefront. You're going to be going direct-to-the-consumer. So that implies more warehousing and e-commerce than it does LTL per se. Um, so I've, I've been blunt with everybody. You know, I might have outthought it last year in 2020. Uh, certainly um, within the context that there was so much money available and everybody were chasing things. And uh you know, uh, we'll see how it plays out from, from that way. Uh, the others have got their work cut out, but I, I give them credit for being aggressive. Uh, we were not. We focused on margin. Um, but uh, I can tell you we look every day at, uh, at once, and when I see ones that I think we can make the change, we're going to be extremely aggressive. Absolutely. No, that, uh, that, that, that what we did there. last year, clearly we, we were aggressive last year in acquisition. We bought back our own stock when the market mispriced us. That was the most aggressive move we did. So, uh, so far, so good. That was a that was a good move. Now, if we want top line, we're going to have to we're going to have to do acquisitions because it's pretty evident the Canadian economy is stalled. It's going nowhere. 
And uh, the consumer remains robust, but the consumer is not going to be on its own be able to drive growth in the Canadian economy. You need to get that pool of capital, as you know, growing and, and being deployed in the economy, not just in the stock market. So um, I, I suspect that acquisitions is your only clear path towards it. So within that, we know there's a clear path towards margin and margin improvement with tuck-ins. We know that. Uh, we've been good at it, and we will continue to pursue that as number one, and then we'll do a transformational or a big one when we see that that gives us a growth growth platform in a new growth market, for sure. Now, let me, let, I've got to make, uh, you know, over the next bit, we're going to have to think long and hard about our U.S. strategy because, uh, as I said, the opportunities appear to be down south, uh, not in Canada. You, you took the you took the, the the words out of my mouth there. <laughs> um, um, yeah. <laughs> so that's a, now that's if you're going to do that, you have to have a well thought out strategy. You know, you just can't go play in that big shark tent and and expect to be uh, to go you know to go in there and uh, and just take over. Uh, you you're going to have to be. Uh, uh, if you go in there, you're going to have to be as aggressive as the American carriers are. Uh, you can't go in and, and uh, just dip your toe. You're going to have to go in, and you're going to have to fight hard, and you're going to have to grow like crazy. Makes makes sense. Um, so Stefan, m- maybe just a, um, uh, I'll call it a clarification question. I, I noticed you know you did have an impairment uh, an impairment assessment of goodwill for your SNI segment, which uh, which looks like you've addressed. Just looking at the disclosure, and, and it looks like a lot of the sensitivities, you know, suggest you'll be able to, you know, recover the future cash flows. Just looking at the MDNA there, but, but just wondering, um, you know, how you see the risk of a potential impairment with, oh, an, an additional uh, uh, impairment to your SNI segment, especially given the, the move in, in rig counts and in, and in energy prices as we sit here today, versus maybe when this assessment was done uh, in late 2020. Yeah, so there's a lot of subjectivity to those models, and it's a discounted cash flow model, and by IFRS regulations, you're doing it for a five-year time horizon. We're certainly expecting a lift in the uh, rig count and uh, the revenue over time, uh, more than the 2.5%, but we're not talking 50% increases here. So we were, we're thinking that more or less 2019 would be more of a comparative base year, and if we did what we did in 2019 going forward and 2020 was was below that, you know, that will do okay and we won't have impairment. I'll remind you that we did take $100 million of impairment hit in 2018. So we mm-hmm. wrote off quite a bit there. And uh, so what's left there, $78 million, is mainly in companies like Canadian Dewatering, as you can see on the list in the financial statements mm-hmm. on page whatever it is. It's pretty mm-hmm. there around page 100. But so there's there's not a lot left necessarily in that. Clearly no impairment in LTL or, or logistics and warehousing. So you're right, that segment is the only one that's still at risk. But as I say, if you look at the list and see who's got, uh, you know, goodwill that's still left there, uh, like Canadian dewatering and such, there's there's not much risk there. And we're just really counting on the economy improving back to at least 2019 levels, which we think is a fair, given, especially today, I could tell you in January, we're ahead of our, our models. Um, but, you know, it's only one month. 
but I think that's a fair assessment to say 2019 when oil was 50, 55 dollars a barrel. We're not counting on 100 dollars a barrel. Um, I think that's a reasonable, you know, macro environment to, to base the model on. And so that's what we did at the end of 2020. No, I, I appreciate the color there, and, and that's it for me. Thank you very much for taking my questions. Thank you. Thanks, Kev. Our next question comes from Walter Spracklin with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks very much, operator. Good, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, so, so, so I guess um, what I characterize your comments around your guidance, which you know, to your point, Murray, you, you, you had provided just a, a couple months or not even a couple months ago. Your maybe you know demand is maybe a touch more compl- complicated. Uh, you like that the consumer is still buying. Supply chain, I, I hear you is is a negative from 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 that period. I guess uh, your LTL resiliency is unchanged. Uh, higher commodity prices are positive, and then acquisitions. I I mean I. I'm gauging you're calling that a question mark. I, I, I don't know. So, so when I put all that in the mix, you're, you're effectively saying, okay, the guidance is unchanged. We're starting off weaker than we, we, we had hoped, but, um, you, you know, we'll wait and see. Is that, is that the right message here, Murray, or, or are, you, are, you, are you indicating yes. that? Yeah. No, it's pretty close. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I didn't know that every provincial jurisdiction was going to lock down nearly everybody. Uh, the issues that you're having with some of the supply chain are real. You can see that even in the auto sector now where, you know, you can't get a part and you have to shut down the line. Well, that, that backs, that, that's backing everything up. So the system's not working as efficiently. I, I would tell you where they are working really, really, the economy is doing fantastic is China. China is making everything that the world buys, that the consumer buys. And the, the supply chain is bottleneck coming out of China on the containers. So they're busy. The factories are busy. And we're busy consuming. But they're busy creating and building. And uh, but some of the supply chain has been bottlenecked. You can see it in the shipping rates. You can see it in the, in the container companies. Uh, and uh, you know, in the uh, in the big ports, they're backed up, and so the costs are there. That's that's troubling, um, and uh, and it doesn't help the bottom line, and it slows things down a little bit. As I said, I think it creates the illusion that we're, you know, when you have bottlenecks, that you're busier than what you really are. It's not. We're sitting and waiting way too much, and uh, then of course the fight comes on with the customer: who's going to pay? Is it? My driver, is it us? Is it the customer? Is it the ship line? Is it, oh my God, it's everybody's fighting with everybody these days because it's not the supply chain is just not working on a just in time business model anymore. So, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be slower coming out of uh, 2021. Uh, that, that shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, nobody can do anything. So, that shouldn't be a surprise. What what we're all waiting for is okay. When do we, when do we get out, and when do we go back, uh, getting the economy going again? And uh, you know, I I don't have the answer to that. Nobody does. Uh, but uh, you know, clearly, uh, it's it's been slow out of the gate to start the year. Oh, I'll be blunt with you. Now, the one thing it hasn't been slow on, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just make this this caution again, is on the commodity price side. Uh, and the reason the commodity prices are up is because 
China and other places in the world are absolutely booming. Uh, it's, you know, and commodity prices are going up. And, and that's going to help those in the energy space, particularly those that, that are the producers. And then, you know, they're spending a little bit more money. And uh, I'm hopeful that, that uh, by the end of the year that they, uh, um, you know, that they spend even a little bit more. So, um, that, but that's also going to raise fuel prices. And then fuel prices lead to fuel surcharges and, you know, your fuel, your fuel costs will go up. So uh, there's, some, there's some, some stresses in the system. But overall, slow out of the gate, but uh, the thesis is intact. Once you get the consumer out and about and they can spend, they're going to spend. And uh, that, will be, uh, that will lead to a decent, uh, you know, pretty good second half. And that's, that's how we're looking at it. Okay, just as a follow-up then on the M&A side, Murray, did, would you characterize um, you, you know, your lack of activity there as being, the, was it because there's just nothing available in the regions that you at the time were looking, or was it what, you know, there was lots available, but just at a price that was above what you were willing to pay? Um, yeah, it was a combination thereof. Uh, some of the bigger ones that uh, that uh, that we know about uh, in in the marketplace, and some of my peers, uh, I, I we were not involved in those transactions at all. What one of them, we we wouldn't have looked at at all. Um, actually, we wouldn't have looked at it, at any of them. They wouldn't have been on our radar screen as something that we would have done. The ones that we did look at. Um, uh, you know the valuations uh, have moved, and when one would have to have a very good, I can get growth. The market, can, we can give growth to our shareholders, top line. But bottom line growth is just how do you change the denominator, and uh, you've got to be able to find synergies. Uh, because I'll be blunt with you, very few acquisitions do I look out there. Do they make the same margin that that Arthur's a small makes? It's really difficult. So then you say, okay, well, how do you change the, how do you change it? Well, uh, I gotta, we gotta be, uh, you know, we've gotta be sure that, uh, that that we know how to go about changing it. And that's with, uh, you know, looking for synergies. Uh, there's no doubt about it. So, but and, we've and looked at lots. We've looked at a ton of them, and uh, you know. In, in hindsight, I could easily say, knowing what the how how the market will now reward growth, uh, geez, we should have been more aggressive. The, the market would have liked that. Yeah, uh, I guess that, the, market, uh, the market comes. The market comes. The market goes. Yeah. Uh, you know, and 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 those kind of things. But but you're right. We're we're sitting here with lots of cash and talking about acquisitions, and we haven't done any. So uh, I got to take responsibility for that. Yeah, it's a, I guess it's a bit of a virtuous cycle, right? I mean, the market is rewarding it. The more you do it, the you know, the higher your share price goes, the lower your cost of capital, and the more you can afford it. This, you know, the, the get the same returns at a higher price. But I, I guess now, with everything that you've seen, I, I get the sense you're you're looking at it a little differently. But not only differently from valuation, but also scope. And 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 did I read it right that you you I mean, you used to look only in kind of Alberta, Western Canada. You're considering now Eastern Canada. Now, am I am I correct in in you know in inferring here that you're now uh, uh, willing to to look into what you've declined you you've described in the past as a a cutthroat type of region being the U.S. Uh, are are you 
Are you looking at kind of regional opportunities in the U.S. now, whereas perhaps you weren't before? I have. I'm not. I haven't focused on anything, but I would say uh, I, I think I'm going to be forced to look in the U.S. because the opportunities in Canada are slim to none, and uh, I just don't see the Canadian economy having a lot of growth potential. Uh, the growth potential is probably going to happen in the U.S., much more aggressive. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to be probably forced to uh, uh, to fine-tune my attention on that, to be honest with you. So, um, yeah, uh, the U in the East, we've done acquisitions. We've done a, uh, we've done a few. We're going to do more. We're expanding our some terminals. We're expanding. Uh, did a couple acquisitions. We've got a couple more we're looking at. And then our other, you know, the company we own 30% of, our Kurska Group, they've been extremely aggressive on acquisitions. And uh, so, uh, you know, they've already done a couple more this year, and they continue to grow their business. I'm really, really pleased with, uh, you know, with, uh, with, with what we've got uh, in our partnership we have with Mark Seymour and his team there. They're, they're good. Um, and we looked at some of the other ones uh, that went down with some of our peers, and we passed on it. We just said, uh, that's... You know, when I talk to Mark and he says, Murray, it's not, that's not one to go after. I go, well, I take, I listen to people that are on the ground and know more than I do. So, so we, we passed on some. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. It's, it sounds, I know it sounds boring, but let's be blunt. The Canadian economy is not growing. Yeah. So if you're going to, if you're going to grow, even my good friends at, uh, at Transforce, Elaine has done a fantastic job. That, that guy is just a star. And I'll tell you, if he pulls off this acquisition with uh, uh, with uh, UPS Freight, if he pulls that off and gets those margins up, give him the CEO of the decade in Canada. That guy, uh, if he pulls that off, he deserves every accolade that goes, and he should get 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 all the all the stars because um, that is gutsy. And uh, but uh, I, I'm clearly the market's not betting against him, and I wouldn't either. But uh, you even look at his numbers. I mean, they did 13 acquisitions last year to not grow and no growth in the business. And we, we find exactly the same thing. Uh, there's no growth in the economy. If you want to grow, you have to do acquisitions. And even Elaine, he likes tuck-ins. He's, he's been really good at the tuck-in one, and, and, uh, and uh, that's our business model too. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, appreciate the time as always, Murray. Thank you, Walter. Bye. Our next question comes from Michael Robertson with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, I was wondering if you could provide some more color on the margins for the LTL segments in Q4, like specifically looking at margins excluding Qs, uh, both in 2020 and in 2019. In the fourth quarter, LTL margins are down, you know, 200 to 300 basis points relative to what you posted in the second and third quarters. Uh, I, I know you post uh, seasonality for LTL with, with lower profitability and revenue in Q1 following a busy holiday season and higher maintenance and fuel expense in the winter months. So I was wondering if we're just seeing a bit of that in, uh, in Q4 or if there's something else behind it or if maybe it's just a coincidence because I'm admittedly looking at a small sample size here. Uh. I'll let Stefan, you know, pine after I have, but I, I don't think there's anything major. I'm, I'm pretty impressed with how our business units, uh, you know, manage that. But typically what happens when you head into the fourth quarter, uh, you know, you have a reduction in volume 
just because the stores are, shot, are stocked um, and uh, LTL volumes start to decline a little bit, which means your terminal network is just not as busy. Uh, you don't have as much throughput going through. Two, three, uh, Q2 and Q3 are typically the busiest months for, uh, for LTL. This year, it went into the fourth quarter a little bit more than regular because of uh, what we talked about, that just the, the bottlenecks in the supply chain. So uh, all in all, um, I, there was nothing in there that disturbed me or gave me cause for concern. Uh, we're going to hold our own. We're going to continue to work on, on margin. We're going to continue to make investments so that we drive margin up. And, uh, you know, that's what we're going to do. But the market, you know, it does get a little softer in Q4 and Q1. So that's a, that's a, in Canada, that's a natural trend. Uh, so I, I wouldn't read anything more into it than that. There, there's no other increased costs or anything that I know of other than just, you know, you just don't have as much uh, revenue going through your cost. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Appreciate the color. Yeah, Michael, I would just echo that. And just on the fourth quarter in particular, it's the first full quarter that we have Pacific Coast Express, which is a 100% owner-operated business. So it does have slightly lower margins, but that's the only thing that's different this fourth quarter than any other fourth quarter. It's the seasonal effects of, of buying patterns that stores are full by, uh, you know, beginning of December. Got it. Got it. All right. That's, uh, that's great. I'll turn it back. Thank you, Mike. Once again, if you have a question, please press star, then one. The next question comes from David Ocampo with Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, Murray and Stefan. David, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. I, I just want to follow up uh, quickly on one of the comments that you made in your prepared remarks. I was just wondering if, if you could provide us with sort of a split between your traditional LTL and the ambient temperature control LTL? And, and perhaps building on that, is there any difference in performance that you saw between the groups in 2020 and maybe even your outlook for 2021? Yeah, so we, we don't have, uh, we, we don't drill into down to that, that layer. I know one, it, it's, not, it's not a huge part of the, of the mix. Ambient in the whole LTL world is going to be a very, very small uh, overall part of, uh, of LTL, the LTL network, and it will be with us. But it's incremental to our LTL network. It's something we've never participated in. So it's all incremental growth for us, uh, and we've got to focus on it to be able to provide ambient, particularly out in the in all of the remote areas that we service. That's that's primarily what we're talking about uh, with our LTL network. We serve literally hundreds and hundreds of communities across uh, from Toronto right to the West Coast. So uh, that'll be an increase along with e-commerce will be an increase to our business. That's why I say to you, LTL will do fine and then we're doing things to make LTL better than what the market is because we're focusing on direct to consumer from our terminals and also uh, adding that uh, ambient capabilities in which is incremental uh, new freight. It's not, it's not gonna double our revenue, but it's gonna be incremental. It will help us improve the margin because it's higher margin business relative to traditional LTL freight. No, that, that was very helpful. And that's all I had for today. Thanks a lot guys. Thanks, David.
Our next question comes from Matthew Weeks with IA Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, uh, thank you for taking my question. Uh, I really just have one. Uh, with, uh, with the re-segmentation and now including uh, you know, smooth contracting in the specialized industrial services segment, and kind of looking at how Q4 uh, relative to Q3 ha has uh, occurred over the past couple of years using those results. Uh, it appears that there there may be sort of a seasonality uh, in that business um, that that we could expect to be maybe regular going forward. I was wondering if you'd just be able to provide a little color on how kind of the seasonality in those industrial uh, focused business works within that segment. Stefan, you're going to tackle on. I, I don't see, you know, it's, uh, uh, it, you know, the, it, it, uh, we, we typically have an increase in, the, in, in certain sectors of that uh, segment, like oil and gas. Typically, when it gets winter, you go to work, and it's a, it's a little busier. Conversely, our, our Canadian dewatering business, for example, there's not as many water projects going on. It's frozen. Uh, you're not you're not doing as many projects. So Canadian e-watering has a uh, counter-cyclical uh, component to it, uh, along with our business up in uh, up in Manitoba called Schmoke, which is the construction side, and that typically slows down in the winter construction projects, and then picks up in the summer. So uh, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything. Uh, quirky about it, uh, but it will be a little choppy. Uh, going into the winter months, particularly until we see whether the increased cash flows that we're seeing in the energy space now, whether that translates into more drilling activity. If that turns into more drilling activity, then our winter months are going to be busy again. Uh, I've seen a little bit more than what they were talking about, but not back to where we were in 2009 yet. Uh, but... Uh, it sure looks a lot better right now. Their balance sheets are in pretty good shape, so we're we're waiting for uh, for more activity for sure. Uh, thus far, a little better than what we anticipated, but not back to where we want it. Yeah, and Matthew, this is the first quarter that we're really reporting smooth within that segment. It used to be in the trucking logistics segment uh, for some strange reasons. It's one of those odd ducks that really doesn't fit anywhere, right? Like, why is a, a trucking firm into uh, mid-civil construction? But it represents about 10% of, of the segment revenue, just to give you a, a quantum of how large it is in terms of annual revenue. But fourth quarter revenue for them is half of what it is in third quarter. And same thing can be said for, for Canadian dewatering. You're just not moving a lot of water in December and in and, and the last half of November. And conversely, it depends on when it gets cold and what the price of uh, oil is, uh, whether you're going to be billing and uh, busy in that drilling um, seg segment or category. And uh, this year, you know, it was better. Uh, you know, it, it sequentially moved up, uh, but not to the same rhythms and patterns as it has in the years past. There was still some capital hesitancy and uh, and maintenance hesitancy and such, uh, you know, on our customers' part in, in the fourth quarter. Now, we've seen a dramatic change in the first quarter where the rig count is up handsomely, but maintenance side on, uh, you know, the oil sands plants, which is a big part of our business now in the SNI uh, business, still COVID delayed, COVID slowed down, constrained, you know, you can't have people working together and, and whatever. So it's still a bit of a 
I would say an unusual year and would continue to be an unusual year as far as, as regular seasonality goes. I think that this is just another year for the record books where nothing worked like it did the previous year. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. I'll uh, I'll leave it there and turn it back. Yeah, just on the Schmuck uh, uh, thing, why, why do we have a construction company in Thompson? It's real easy. Our Cleason Group, one of their largest customers, is out of uh, uh, out of Thompson, Manitoba, uh, Valet, and uh, this company did a lot of work with Valet, and we were kind of asked by the customer, would would this kind of work out as uh, as this company came available? And uh, so our Cleason Group is the one that uh, that really oversees this and looks at it. It's just uh, that's why it was in the trucking logistics segment before because our it was really an extension of our of our Cleason group, but uh, we segregated it when we went uh, with our three segments, just to clarify that for everybody. Our next question comes from Jeff Federley with Peters and Company. Please go ahead. Morning, everyone. Hey, Jeff. Uh, two quick ones. The, within SNI, what is your line of sight and expectation in terms of, sh of um, Preme and the overall pipeline piece? Uh, line of sight is at least at least 2021. It looks like the way it's going, probably 2022. A good chunk of it. Uh, these projects are are just going brutally slow. And uh, I know our customers don't want to hear that, but uh, you know, um, to do anything in Canada these days, you, you know, you, it, it's just, it's just tough to get anything done. So um, uh, at least, at least 2021, probably 20, most of 2022, on the pipeline side, which we think gets us closer to when, then the spend goes into the drilling side to fill the pipe. So. Uh, uh, it'll just, it'll just. I think the spend will move, and the, and the results will move from the pipeline side being busy and and producing nice results to more of the uh, related to the drilling side is our uh, is our thesis on that side. So uh, the market's a little bit tight right now. If you open those lines up, uh, particularly coastal gas, somebody's got to fill them, and uh, so that probably leads to more drilling, and that that helps our drilling services component of our business and those kind of things. So uh, right now we're fortunate. We've got a, our, our, the pipeline side that's, that's doing well, and it looks like we've got at least a couple more years on that. And uh, then it'll translate and just move right into drilling. And so for Mullen within the pipeline piece, do you expect that 21 will be a better year than 2020? Because I know you've... No, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't say a better year. Uh, uh, you know, last year was a was an exceptional year. Uh, it'll be uh, we've we've highlighted it'll be another good year because uh, you know we we have uh, we have a number of pro the projects that we're working on are are still in uh, still in the throes. So it'll be another good year, but I don't think it'll be a better year. That that's going to be tough to beat last year. So um, what we think will be better than last year is the drilling side uh, because it was just the shits last year. So. Just to put it blunt, but pipeline uh, side will be, uh, uh, you know, this is project related. So coming right out of the chute, right out of the chute, what did BC government do? 
BC government said you can't go on to these job sites unless you have a COVID action plan and you got this. So they shut the projects down till February. So now that doesn't all that does is push the project out. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't cancel the project. It just shifts it. So that's why I'm saying to you, it, it's I don't I don't know how smooth it's going to go. And now we got massively cold weather, but you can't do these projects right now. It's just too freaking cold. So. Uh, but once we get into the into the spring and the summer, I, I think we'll we'll hit our full stride again and get some real productivity done. Uh, second thing, back in the December call, you mentioned that flat deck, flat deck had been underperforming in 2020. What, yeah. what have you seen on very, that? Any improvement? Yeah, very good point. Very good point. Uh, I didn't highlight on that, but uh, I think I touch around the basis on it, uh, Jeff, when I say the Canadian economy is not growing. Uh, the consumer part of the economy is okay, but anything to do with capital investment and, and the and which would translate into move for our flat deck business, it's stubbornly quiet. And it remains that way today. Uh, that's the biggest underperformer in our trucking logistics, uh, in our logistics and warehousing segment. Uh, that, that's, a, that's problematic. And until we see capital going to work, then I think our flat deck business will underperform. Once capital goes to work, wow, that's, uh, we're gonna be in great position but you need to see the capital go to work in the country. And I haven't seen that, that catalyst for that to, to happen yet. Thanks for the color, appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff, take care. Our next question comes from Konar Gupta with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Uh, just, just a quick follow-up, uh, Murray. Uh, so back in December, when you uh, provided the 2021 Business Outlook, uh, you, you guys were expecting in the in the business plan uh, roughly uh, each segment will be roughly a third a third a third uh, with perhaps LTL maybe slightly bigger than a third and SNI smaller than a third. Uh, given what you have said today, um, is it still kind of fair to expect those kind of ratios and perhaps maybe a slightly greater skew toward uh, SNI here given the drilling activities rebounding or would you say what, what do you what do you Disclosed in no, 20, in yeah, December. No, I, I, I think I'll stay with the third, a third, a third. Uh, we need to see. Uh, we've given you kind of some some green shoots uh, that we think would happen, but I, I still think LTL is solid. Uh, that that's probably not going to change a whole bunch. I think logistics and warehousing will be probably fine after a slow out of the gate for the reasons we talked about. It's just. There's just bottlenecks in the bloody system. Maybe on the SNI a, a little bit better, but there's not enough. I haven't seen enough of true conviction to go and, and really drill uh, from the oil and gas companies yet. I still see M&A. I still see some things. So I'm going to stick with that original one of a third, a third, a third. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Mullen for any closing remarks. Yeah, thanks folks for everything. Um, glad to put uh, 2020 behind us. It was a year for, uh, we, none of us will forget too soon. Um, we have our work cut out this year, there's no doubt. The economy is gonna be probably, uh, have some spits and starts and those kind of things, but uh, uh, 
uh, and then we're going to have our, our real work cut out to make sure we identify good acquisitions that can add value to our shareholders. That's my number one objective. And uh, until we get to that, we're going to focus on cost and on margin improvement. Thanks for joining us, and take care. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating, and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.